Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You should not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. If you are thinking, what in the world does Genesis have to do with Romans? You would be asking the right question. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been going through what feels like a 10-year series on the book of Romans, which we love. Um, but what, what, um, one of the things that is happening in the Christian world all around us, um, starting on Wednesday, some of you at your workplace you may have seen it, um, Lent has started. Now, as a Seventh-day Adventist church, we don't really do Lent. We don't do um, Ash Wednesday or anything like that. But um, one of the things that I like to do is kind of follow that Christian calendar. So for the next seven weeks, we'll be journeying toward Resurrection Sunday. And um, Easter is on April 5th. So on April 4th, we have our kind of our Sabbath where we remember the resurrection of Christ. So what I thought would be good to do Um, As we've been reading the Bible from beginning to end, one of the things I thought we could start today is a new short series in in the midst of Romans, right? So we'll put a pause on Romans. And the title of the sermon, of the series, is Sins of Our Fathers and One Mother. (laughs) And so what I want to do is look at some of the Bible characters, especially in the book of Genesis and Exodus, and kind of look at how we we, we tend to make them our heroes. We, We tend to idolize these these men and women of faith, because we look at them and we say, wow, these were people of great faith. But if we look at the stories closely, and if you've been one of the people who have been reading the Bible through every single day, you'll notice that a lot of these characters really, I mean, they weren't perfect. They were far from perfect. In fact, there's all sorts of stories in there that would make a good Hollywood movie if they did it accurately, of course. But the truth is, is that if we look at these characters, they are filled with a lot of flaws. They are far from perfect. And one of the reasons I want to look at this is because I want us to see what can we learn from their mistakes? What can we learn from their sins? And how can we apply what we're learning so that our faith can continue to grow? Because if God was able to work through them then, then God is surely able to work with us and through us now. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, that we can be here. Father, most of us, myself included, are distracted um, with knowing that Kurt is in the hospital and it's weighing heavy on us. But we pray that as he would love to be here, that we would be able to just open up your word and explore what's been true for thousands of years. And that you would be able to help us to come through with a clearer understanding of what your message is for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm too short. I want to preach from down here, but I think people can't see me, so I have to stand up here. Is that better? 
I feel so far away. I feel so high and mighty. As we begin in the book of Genesis chapter 1, what we find in the book or in chapter 1 is the story of creation. It's the story of how God creates. He speaks things into existence. And at the end of each day, the Bible tells us that God looks at what he's done and God saw that it was good. At the end of the creation week, at the sixth day, what we find is that God looks at all that he had done, and the Bible says, and God saw that it was very good indeed. And so what we kind of comes across in this first chapter is that God has all of this goodness. He speaks this goodness into existence, and he creates a world of beauty. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis The central theme is that God will provide the good that humanity needs. All of the goodness of the universe was brought onto this earth so that he would give life to you and to me. All of the goodness, all of the very best, God had reserved and he was ready to give to humanity. And what we find as you're reading through the Bible is that God doesn't just give good in the very beginning. But God continually is giving his goodness and his grace and his abundance to his people throughout all the Old Testament and even culminating in Jesus' words where Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God's goodness is continually being given to you. The Bible tells us that God causes the sun to rise on the unjust. I'm breaking up, aren't I? On the just and on the unjust. Let's try to sit here. Stand here. And so God's goodness, this goodness, this tove, as the Hebrew word says, keeps being given to all humanity. And God doesn't withhold it, but rather he lavishes it on people. And that's what the story of creation really is. It's that beginning of God's goodness being given to all the world. But as we will see in just a moment... Even all of the very best that existed wasn't enough for Adam and Eve. Now, God gives them everything, but he gives them one rule. He gives Adam one rule, and this is what he says. You may eat freely of every tree of the garden, the Garden of Eden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you you eat of it, you shall die. Can I get another mic? I think this will be better. It's, it's actually my body that does that for some reason. Even when I'm listening to Bluetooth on my phone, it, it does that all the time. So I'm electric. Some would say a ball of energy. <laughs> you may eat freely of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. God invites Adam to a buffet. And God tells Adam, you can have of every single tree as much as you want, as often as you want. God never says, Adam, eat three square meals a day. He doesn't say, watch your carb intake. He doesn't say, take a paleo diet, whatever that is, or carb cycle your day. God gives him no rules. All God says is, Eat whatever you want, whenever you want, from any plate that you have, from any dish that you have. You can have as much as you want. All of this goodness is here for you. That sounds like my kind of paradise. 
And so what does Adam do? He says, okay, great, he's eating of it. And God says, just stay away from one tree. That's pretty simple, right? How hard is it to stay away from one tree where you don't even know what the food tastes like? It could be gross. It could be a tree of Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so God invites Adam to this buffet. Growing up, <laughs> growing up, there was this buffet that my family, we would go to sometimes on Sunday mornings. It was before I was 12 years old, before my working age. Um, but it was Sunday mornings or Sunday like brunch where there was still breakfast, but there was also all the lunch menus. And it was called King's Table Buffet. Some of you may not have heard of it. It's changed like to five different things over the years, so it's not a good location. But King's Table Buffet was my favorite because it had all the food my mom refused to give us at home. And I was strategic about not going with my mom. Like when I was, ne- I was really self-sufficient as a kid. So I would always make sure my mom went first and then my dad and then my brother and then my two sisters. Why? Because if I was next to my mom, she would make me start with a salad. I'm like, we got to have that at home. Why would you waste your money on salad? So I would wait until the end and I would fill up my plate with pizza, macaroni and cheese, mashed potatoes, like all starch and carbs, like in the Garden of Eden. And I mean, I, and I would fill it up because you get it like once every couple of weeks. So you got to like make sure you enjoy it. And so my mom would be like, you have to, she would get mad. But I was like, mom, you're not going to waste all this food. Like, come on, next time. But there was one rule my mom would give us. And it was kind of, it wasn't like you shall not, but it was like you better not eat the meat that the carver was cutting. Do not eat the meat that that man with a white apron is cutting. Why? Because what was it? It was ham. And I grew up in a conservative, legalist, earn-your-way-to-heaven Christianity where if you messed up, God is going to smite you. And, and eating pork was right up there on the seven deadly sins. That, along with not going to the movies, not going to dances, and, I don't know, watching TV on, on, during the Sabbath hours. You just stayed away from pork. And I always wondered, like, it smells so good. It looks so good. It looks like beef, in, a mix between beef and chicken. Like, what's the harm in eating this meat or eating all this other stuff? You can't eat it. You can't eat it. You can't eat it. So I did the next best thing. I went with the mac and cheese that had the little pork bits in it. (laughs) Tastes good to me. I was a kid. I don't know. Because that's what we do. We toe the line as much as we can. Because the moment that someone says you can't do this, we want to know why we can't do it. I don't know why we do it, but it's what we do. Don't touch the stove. In fact, I'll say, you know, you, you got to tell kids, go ahead, touch the stove. But be careful how much of your hand you put on there because it's going to hurt. Because we are kind of programmed to want to do the things we're said not to do. And that's what we find in the story of Genesis chapter 3. The Bible doesn't start with man messing things up. 
The Bible doesn't begin with the disobedience of Adam and Eve, but it begins, remember, in Genesis 1 and 2, where God's goodness is reserved and it is given to all of humanity, or what would be humanity. He creates an earth of beauty, of purpose. He creates a paradise. And it isn't until chapter 3 of Genesis where then we begin to see the downside of what humanity can do. And here's where the story begins in chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Didn't God say you could have out of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you, you're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent, what we would later find out to be this representative of Satan. He wasn't straight out fighting God in the garden, but rather all it takes is two suggestions, two questions that he throws towards the woman. It's, did God say you shall not eat it? And you surely will not die. God had already given Adam and Eve all of the good, but the sin here is that they were trying to find the good outside of the realm of what God wanted for them. The sin was an outright rebellion. It was that they didn't trust God enough to provide all the good. For them. Here's what's ironic. The serpent says, you will be like God. That's what the promise is, right? That the serpent says, if you eat it, you will be like God. What's ironic about that is that in chapter 1 of Genesis, it says that humankind was already made in the image of God. They were already endowed with the breath of God. They were given the sense of holiness and of divinity. They weren't gods, but they were as close as you could get to one. God makes them in the image of God. He creates them with the purpose, but the serpent puts doubt in their minds. Here's what's interesting. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he writes in a book on the, crea on the creation and the fall. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a German pastor who was part of the resistance against uh, Hitler Dietrich Bonhoeffer would literally die for trying to resist the evil that was the Third Reich. He would die three months, I believe, or three weeks before the war ended. So this guy was all in. And here's what he writes. He says, the serpent attacked God's word. He didn't dispute it. He didn't, like, go on this argument, this logical argument about how what God was saying is wrong. He doesn't try to dispute it rationally or logically. All he does is he questions, and he says, Did God really say? Is it really that bad? Are you really, really going to die? Doesn't that seem harsh? Doesn't that seem too much for a God that would go through all this trouble to build this beautiful planet just to smite you for it? What the serpent does is that he opens the eyes of human beings to a depth which humans had not known before. The depth of maybe God 
is lying. And so what we find is that the serpent really is creating this doubt and these questions about the word of God. I'm not talking about the Bible, but I'm talking about the very words of God. But I think that the devil does that for us today. That serpent comes in all sorts of different ways. I haven't seen a flying serpent. I've never seen a talking serpent for that matter. But there are serpents all around us that will question what the scripture says, that will question what our faith is, that will make us question. And we have to be ready to make sure that we are not led that way. Furthermore, the serpent kind of makes God to be a bore. He makes God to be a party pooper. He says, come on, God surely isn't going to smite you if you eat of that fruit. He makes God a liar by saying God surely won't kill you as he said that he will. So with, with all of that in mind, the story continues in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And I've, all, I've heard all sorts of reasons like, you know, women are really the ones that introduce sin into the world because they're the ones that ate the fruit, right? And we hear jokes about it, but it's like tongue-in-cheek because some men really believe like it was the woman's fault. But what does it say right there, the last line? She gave to her husband who was where? Like she brought it to the table? Or, or she brought it like from three miles away? Or she had to like text message him and say, hey, come, the food is ready? No, it says, she gave to her husband who was with her. They were together. They were partners in crime. They wanted to be wiser than whatever they were. They wanted more than what God had already given them. The sin isn't rebellion. The sin is not trusting that A, what God said is true, and B, that God would provide all that they needed. They thought they would be like God, forgetting that they were already made in the image of God. They thought that they would learn and know everything and gain knowledge, but the only knowledge that they gained from eating of this tree was that they were naked, that they were different, and that they were starkly different than God. You see, this is where all of our relational issues begin. This is where men are from Mars and women are from Venus starts because after they ate this fruit, their eyes were open and they realized that there was a separation between them. Here's the interesting thing. Sin will always promise you something it can't deliver. Just a little bit of this and you'll be okay. Just try this. This will make you happy. Just do it this way. This way is better. Sin will always draw you in, but it's like a mirage. Sin's seductive promises always turn out to be a mirage because sin makes big promises that it cannot keep. And what we find here is that instead of them becoming wiser, what they find is that they are naked. And when the Bible writers use this, this essence or this, this word of nakedness, it isn't just like the dream that you have when you go to school and you're in your underwear and you're embarrassed, right? It's not that kind of nakedness. It's, it's a deeper sense of shame, of embarrassment, 
of, of people being able to see right through you. And you know what? We still suffer from this today. That's why so many of us put on so many different masks. That's why all of you here are faking it this morning. Because if people really saw who we really were, they would probably have some very like steep judgments about who we are. Let's just face it. Look, people will always say, you know, the reason I don't like going to church is because there's hypocrites there. Duh. That shouldn't keep you from going there. We know we're hypocrites. We know we're in need of a Savior. We know that we put these masks on. And we come here in hopes of being able to lay all of that aside because we believe in the God who has forgiven us and made us whole. So the next time people say, oh, church is full of hypocrites, like, well, yeah, we're all human. What do you expect? But we believe in a God who is true and worthy, and we go to worship him together because collectively we, we raise our voices to this God. I'm not judging you, by the way. I hope you don't leave there being like, the pastor's a jerk. No, I'm just voicing what we're all thinking. And the story continues. Then the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So they tried to cover themselves. Then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Because they knew they were naked. Because they were, they were ashamed. So they tried to cover their shame. They had access to God. And yet, here's where we begin to see that separation where people separate themselves. You see, it's not that God pulls away from you when you sin. That would make God like a caricature of himself. That would make him a capricious God, a God who, who then goes into the corner and mopes because we didn't do the right thing. God is shown to pursue them. He comes to them in the cool of the evening. He is looking for them. But the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve, that they run away from God. And that's what sin does. It's not that it makes God go away or depart from us, but rather it makes us see our sinfulness. And it makes us withdraw from the presence of God because we fear God. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? He said, I heard this, and so then Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? It's like every parent, right, knows. Every, every parent knows. Even, the kid can lie all he wants to, but the parent always knows. The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me, and I ate. This is where the blame game starts. Here's what's like, sin, talk about sins of our fathers. Adam blames God. He says, God, this is your fault. You gave me this woman. I didn't ask for her. I wanted no part in this. I, did, I was fine by myself. I had a dog, and I had a cat, and I had a you know, man's best friend. I, w I was good, God. 
it's blaming God. This is like the, this is the story to kick off all other stories, and the guy blames God. He goes for the worst. He says, God, I blame you because the woman that you created for me, she made me do it. And what does she do? Well, it wasn't me. It was the serpent that, by the way, God, you created somehow, somewhere. It's another sermon for another day. And they start shifting blame. They couldn't just say, yeah, we did it. We're sorry. I don't know. I can't remember now, but I don't think they ever said they were sorry. I don't think they ever confessed. I don't think they were ever shown to be repentant. What I do see and what we'll see in just like two minutes is that they were evicted from this paradise. Then the Lord God said, see, this is like 10 verses later. God is talking somehow, perhaps to Father, Son, Holy Ghost, somehow, some way, this triunal community of eternal existence <laughs> between God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Because God's talking to someone. He says, see, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now the man might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. It wasn't that God had departed from them. It was that through their actions of wanting to find goodness and happiness and joy outside of God, that they made God to be a liar. They doubted God. They doubted that he would be able to give them all that they needed. See, because the truth is, is that God has all this goodness for you. But what ends up happening is we look at other people's lives and we say, well, well, they have that and they have this. And it's not fair that they're this way. And God just looks at us and says, do you not trust me? I have more than enough stored for everyone. Their life is not your life. I am not calling you to be anyone other than who I have created you to be. You are already made in the image of God. And all God is asking you to do is to trust in what he says, to trust that he will give you all of the good that you need. And this morning, I, I want to close with an invitation to you that you would be open and trust that all of life can be found in the God who created at the beginning. It's not going to be found in, in gaining a bigger paycheck. It's not going to be found in having a bigger house. It's not going to be found in another husband or another wife. It's not going to be found in a different church. God doesn't need any of that stuff to give you happiness. And so I pray that just as all of the goodness of earth was given to Adam and Eve, that you would be open to receive all of God's goodness today.